1: Now, it is true that we struggle with sinful selfishness, but the divine nature compels and drives us to reach out to others with selfless sacrifice. Yes, we struggle, but we're not dominated by selfishness anymore. We have the capacity to say no to ourselves.
2: One of the fast food restaurants gave us the slogan, Have it your way. Of all the epidemics in our world today, the worst one has to be the epidemic of self-centeredness, especially in the West. Our motto seems to be, every man for himself. We only seem to worry about what I want, what pleases me, and what makes me happy. There are a lot of people who act like they think that the rest of the world should have the goal of trying their best to make me happy. When Jesus comes into our lives, we stop serving ourselves and loving ourselves as the center of our world, and we start letting Christ be the center of our world and loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where the Word of God is always taught in a clear and consistent way. We hope today's message about loving others is a big help to you. Now, here is Pastor Steve.
1: We come to one of the most challenging verses, and really challenging to study, challenging to understand, in the entire epistle of 1 John. In fact, concerning this verse, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I quote, from the standpoint of exposition, it is one of the most interesting and, I would say, the most difficult of all the verses which we have thus far considered in this epistle. The verse that that we are addressing today, the verse in question, is First John chapter four, verse twelve. So I invite you to turn there. First John four twelve says this: No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, what is so challenging about this verse is that it seems to come out of nowhere. It just seems to come out of nowhere. It's so unexpected to the point where one Bible teacher noted that it has the air of being misplaced. Now, it's not misplaced, but it looks like it's misplaced. What he means by that is that it is so abrupt, it doesn't seem to fit in. It doesn't seem to fit with anything that John has been saying. In other words, it is a statement that doesn't seem to have a context. No connecting link to what John has been teaching. However, I would suggest to you that it is only on the surface that it appears to have no connection to what John has been teaching. But in reality, it is very connected and very pertinent to what the Apostle has been teaching his readers and by way of application been teaching us. So let me remind you of what we have been studying and the message of the passage that we last examined. I want to read to you verses 7 through 11. Beloved, John says, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then he says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, it's obvious from just a, a casual reading of these verses that John's message has to do with loving the brethren. I think that's rather clear. It's certainly clear from the start of the passage. Verse 7 tells us, let us love one another, for love is of God. This is a command for us to love one another, meaning other believers. He's not saying don't love the world. He's just focusing on loving other believers here. We are to love them in Christ, and then he reiterates that this is certainly the primary message of the passage. When he states in verse eleven, "Beloved, if God so loves us, we ought also to love one another." So, so he is urging us, commanding us to love one another. So, I think it's safe to say that loving one another, loving other Christians, is what John wants us to do. That's what he's emphasizing in this passage. However, this issue of loving our fellow Christians has been taught by John before. This is not the first time that he's dealt with this issue. He's dealt with it before because as you know, as we go through, as we've gone through First John, there are a series of tests that John gives, tests that we are to apply to ourselves to see if we pass, to see if there's evidence of Christ having regenerated us. There are basically three tests throughout this letter. Number one is the test of obedience. Do we desire to obey? Number two is the test of doctrinal soundness. Do we get it right concerning Jesus Christ and the atonement? And number three is the test of love. Now John keeps coming back basically to those three tests. He started in chapter 2 verse 9 when he said the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him So that's the test. If you love the brethren, it's proof that you are one of God's people If you don't at all, then you walk in darkness. You're not born again. He reiterated the same thing adding a little bit more in chapter 3 Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love, meaning love the brethren, abides in death. Then John goes on to define and explain what he means by loving one another. Verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He defines love as laying our lives down for one another. Not necessarily physically laying our lives down, but daily giving up ourselves sacrificially for others. And then he defines it even further when he says in verse 17 and following, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We'll know we will know by this that we are of the truth and we'll assure our hearts before him. So he explains that love is not just talking about it. Love is doing something. Love is giving of ourselves and our resources to help one another. So John has already spoken in this epistle about Christians, about loving other Christians as an objective test, as the evidence for whether we really have come to know Christ. Because he says true Christians do love The brethren. Now, even though, and this is the balance, even though we fail so often in this area of love, we do desire to be more consistent in loving others. Loving the brethren is the general flow and direction of a true Christian's life, even when he blows it, even when he doesn't love like he should love. That's a desire of his heart. That's the general direction of his life. That is what characterizes him, even if he fails. A number of times. Now, what makes John's teaching about love here in chapter four so special and really a little unique is that in these verses, John explains to us why we should love one another. He commands us to love one another, but he tells us why. He takes it a step further. That is to say, he explains to us, beyond helping us gain assurance of our salvation, why it is so important that God's people love one another. Now, this is extremely important for each of us to know because, as I said, there are times where we struggle. We struggle to show love towards each other, and we need a godly push, a little sanctified encouragement, and these verses provide just that. Well, John's words here about why we should be loving, especially with difficult Christian people, is especially pertinent for us because his words help to stimulate us, to push us when we don't feel like loving. Now, what John does then, in these verses, he gives us three reasons why we should love the brethren. These are, folks, the very truths you can fall back on when you are challenged to love that difficult Christian. Last time we studied these verses, we looked at two of the reasons John gives for loving one another. Reason number one, we should love one another, he tells us, is because it's the nature of God to love. It's God's nature. Verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now what John means by this is that God is the source as well as the origin of love. It comes from Him. And keep in mind, he's not saying that love is something that God just does, but rather it is who He is. Love is part of His eternal nature. And being. Now, watch this. The point that John is making is that since we have become partakers of the divine nature and that nature of love, then we must love believers because God loves believers. What John is saying is that the reason we love others is because God has given us his nature of love. That's what it means to be regenerated. You've received a new nature. Therefore, His point being is that we have the capacity to demonstrate this supernatural giving of ourselves to others. So we can never make any excuses. can never excuse a lack of love by saying, I just can't love that person. Or that person is impossible to love. Or no matter how hard I try, I cannot warm up to that individual. Those excuses are invalid. Reason number two. Second reason we should love the brethren is because God displayed His love by Christ's sacrificial death, and that is an example for us. Notice verses 9 and 10. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sends his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now what John means by this statement, these statements, is that God, who is love, has preeminently shown his love to us by sending his son into the world. He sent his son into the world so that we might have eternal life. Now God has demonstrated his love not only at the cross, but preeminently at the cross. And this was accomplished by the death of Christ. That's how we received eternal life. He died for our sins, which satisfied the holy justice of God. That's what propitiation means. So, what is John's point then in telling us about God's love for us in Christ? Well, he tells us his point in verse 11. Here's the application Beloved, if God so loved us, meaning if God loved us this way, then we also ought to love one another. He's motivating us to follow God's example of love by demonstrating the same kind of sacrificial and selfless love with our fellow Christians. That's his point. We want to spend the remainder of our time together looking at the third reason that John gives for why we should love the brethren, which is because God's love is seen in our love. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John starts off by making a statement that does not seem to fit his argument. And that's the question. How does it fit? Why is it here? Well, he starts off by saying that no one has seen God at any time. We read that and we need to pause and ask ourselves a couple of questions. Number one, what does he mean by this statement? And number two, Why does he say it here? How does it fit in? Because if you don't fit things in, you really won't understand the Scriptures. Now, some may wonder about this, because there were times in the Old Testament when God did appear to certain men. For example, he visited Abraham when he was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. We believe the angel of the Lord was not simply a created angel, but the Lord himself. Moses was told by God in Exodus 33, I will pass before you and I will appear unto you. Just before entering the land of Canaan, Joshua meets somebody. He's the captain of the Lord of hosts. Now keep this in mind. Even though these individuals saw appearances of God, they didn't really see God. So let me explain what I mean by that. See, these Old Testament appearances of God are known as theophanies. Theophanies, the word theos is there, meaning God. It means a theophany is an appearance of God in human form for the benefit of people. As James Montgomery Boyce explains, and I quote, the Old Testament theophanies did not involve the full revelation of God as he is, but only a suggestion of what he is in forms that a human being could understand. What he's saying is that these theophanies were appearances of God. We actually believe they were appearances of Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity, before he came into this world as Jesus of Nazareth. Sometimes a theophany is called a christophany, an appearance of of Christ before the incarnation. But even still, even still they were not revelations of God, these theophanies in the fullness of his essence and his glory. You see, what John is saying here in 1 John 4.12 is that no man has ever seen God in his fullness or in his complete essence. Some only caught glimpses of him in human form for the specific for certain specific purposes, but they didn't see God as God, not in his fullness, not in all of his glory. Even Jesus Christ, though he is fully God, in him we still don't see God in his full and complete essence and glory. We see him as the God-man revealing and declaring the character of God, and that is in no way to take away from his deity. So that's what John means. We know what he means, that no human being has ever seen God as God in the fullness of his essence. So we need to ask ourselves, then why in the world did John bring this up at this point? How does this connect? How does this fit? What does this have to do With loving the brethren, here's the answer. And hang on to your pews. What John is saying is that although no one has ever seen the invisible God in all of his glory, yet when we love one another, people see his love. Because we put his love on display. Did you get that? This is a remarkable truth. When we love the brethren, others get to see God in us. Not in His fullness, but at least they get to see His love. This is an amazing truth. And John adds to it that if we love one another, it confirms two things. Number one, he says that God abides in us, meaning that if we really do love other Christians, it confirms that God lives in us. He indwells us. He's given us a new nature, but He's also given us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit lives in us, He shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. Secondly, if we love one another, it also confirms that His love is perfected in us, John says, meaning not that there's ever been any imperfection in God's love, but simply that when we love others, His love reaches its intended goal of loving His people through us. You see, the word that's translated perfected essentially means to bring to the goal or to bring to Completion. So when we love other Christians, that's the goal of God's love, to sacrificially love believers in Christ through us. Now, folks, I want us to consider this remarkable truth that we've just learned about the invisible God being put on display when we love other believers. This indicates that we have an enormous responsibility to show the world The reality of God, by the way, we love other Christians. See, this is why loving other Christians is so important, because this is something that is absolutely necessary, note this, for evangelism to take place. This is our evangelistic responsibility. The world remains blind to the truth about God, but they can see him in the way we behave towards one another. That's why it's so horrible when there are unloving church splits. The world sees that. Or when the world sees Christians suing one another. What a horrible testimony. Horrible testimony. Or fighting each other. Being disagreeable. And how many children of believers have turned away from Christianity because of the way they saw God's people fight each other in church. They want nothing more to do with biblical Christianity. And how many children of pastors want nothing to do with the Bible or church because of the way they saw their dad and mom mistreated by the church they served? Listen, many, many, many children who've grown up in the church, seeing how their parents were treated, want nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with Christianity. The church ought to, when I say church, I mean we, as God's people, ought to lead the way in showing society what real Love is. This is our evangelistic outreach. How do we do it? We do it by caring for our own. That's why a widow's ministry is so important. When we take care of the poor amongst us, that's our evangelistic outreach. The world gets to see God being put on display. The invisible God is put on display based on how we love one another. We demonstrate love to the world by the way we address racial tension. We show love to the world by not being prejudiced towards any race or any nationality. Listen to these powerful words by Joel Beakey from his commentary, his Bible study on First John. He said, In our world, many people are two or three generations removed from anything Christian. Children are growing up without learning about Jesus. The Bible remains closed inside and outside of many churches. Many unconverted people do not read the Bible and they do not sit under the preaching of God's word. The only way they will learn about God is to see him in Christians. Folks, remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love towards one another. So this puts loving each other in an entire new light. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It really has nothing to do with how we personally feel towards that other Christian or whether or not they are easy or difficult to love. We have to love them for the sake of the gospel. This is how the unsaved of the world catch a glimpse of God as they see his love in action. Now, it's not the only thing we do. We obviously have to explain the plan of salvation to them. But you can explain the plan of salvation all day long, and yet if you don't demonstrate love towards another believer, you lose all credibility. Yes, Christ will forgive you and transform your life, but I hate that other Christian. There's no credibility in that. So meditate on this truth. You go from here, think about this, and ask God to help you to be the best testimony for Christ that you can be by putting His love on display. This is an incredible truth. I challenge you to memorize it, to meditate on it, to incorporate it in your life, and to never consider that it's of no consequence how you treat one another. It's of great consequence. So what have we learned in our study in this passage? Let me sum it up by saying we've learned that there are three reasons we ought to love God's people. Number one, because God is love, it's His nature to love, and His nature to love is in us. That's why we ought to love. We have the same nature. Number two, because God has loved us in Christ and has set an example for us to love as he's loved by giving ourselves to others. And number three, we love others because God and his love are seen in the way we treat others. We actually have the opportunity, as I said, to put on display the invisible God by our love. Now, I ask you tonight, do you have a desire to love Christians? Or doesn't it mean anything? You have no desire, no interest. If that's true, then you are not a believer. If you have no interest in loving other Christians, if you can easily float into the world and never be with another Christian again and you just be fine, then you are not a believer. You need to be born again. If you do love other believers and you long for their fellowship, and being in the world is challenging, and you don't want to be only amongst the unsaved, you do want to be with God's people, then you're a believer. Now go forth and love one another for Christ's glory and honor. Let's pray. Lord, what a remarkable truth we have discovered tonight, that the invisible God can be made, at least in your quality of love be made visible i pray lord that at lakeside we will be a loving loving church so i pray that you would help us to demonstrate to the world for your glory your love may we be loving in our friendliness towards one another on sundays may we be loving in um, giving a listening ear and showing care and giving our our time and energies and resources to one another So, Lord, I pray that you'll apply this truth to each of us in so many, many different ways. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of simple.
2: If God loves us even when we are still sinners, we can certainly love others through him. We can forgive people. We can serve people. And we can show kindness to people even if they don't really deserve it. That is the sign of a true Christian. It's time for us to stop making excuses and show our true character if we are really believers in Christ. Just keep looking at Jesus and how he loves us when we struggle with loving others. If you would like some help understanding what we're talking about or just need someone to pray with you, give us a call at 727-239-0306 You can also contact us through our website firstbyverseradio.org where you will also find some great practical helps Thanks for joining us today For Pastor Steve and the staff, I'm Jerry Pruden and I'm looking forward to being with you again next time on Verse by Verse